Section 18, Chapter 6, Part 3 The Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Kunz. Chapter 6, Part 3. The following history and description of a crystal ball is given by John Aubrey, 1626-1697. I have here set down the figure of a consecrated barrel, now in the possession of Sir Edward Harley, Knight of the Bath, which he keeps in his closet at Brampton Bryan, in Herefordshire, amongst his similia, which I saw there. It came first from Norfolk. A minister had it there, and a call was to be made with it. Afterwards a miller had it, and he did work great cures with it, if curable, and in the barrel they did see either the receipt in writing or else the herb. To this minister the spirits or angels would appear openly, and because the miller, who was his familiar friend, one day happened to see them, he gave him the aforesaid barrel and call, by these angels the minister was forewarned of his death. This account I had from Mr. Ashmole. Afterwards this barrel came into somebody's hand in London, who did tell strange things by it, insomuch that at last he was questioned for it, and it was taken away by authority. It was about 1645. This barrel is a perfect sphere, the diameter of it I guess to be something more than an inch. It is set in a ring or circle of silver, resembling the meridian of a globe. The stem of it is about ten inches high, all gilt. At the four quarters of it are the names of four angels, viz. Uriel, Raphael, Michael, Gabriel. On the top is a cross patty. In his Sadocismus Triumphatus, Joseph Glanville writes that one Compton of Somersetshire, who practiced physic and pretends to strange matters, demonstrated his power to evoke the image of a distant person on the surface of a mirror. Glanville relates that Compton offered to show to a Mr. Hill any one the latter wished to see. Hill had no great confidence in his talk, but replied that he desired to see his wife, who was many miles distant. Upon this, Compton took up a looking-glass that was in the room, and setting it down again, bid my friend look in it, which he did, and then, as he most solemnly and seriously professeth, he saw the exact image of his wife in that habit which she then wore, and working at her needle in such a part of the room, then represented also, in which and about which time she really was, as he found upon inquiry when he came home. The gentleman himself averred this to me, and he is a very sober, intelligent, and credible person. Compton had no knowledge of him before, and was an utter stranger to the person of his wife. He was by all accounts a very odd person. A contemporary record recites 
that when a certain Sir Marmaduke Langdale of the seventeenth century was in Italy, he went to a sorcerer and was shown in a glass his own figure kneeling before a crucifix. Though a Protestant at this time, he shortly after became a Catholic. If we exclude all idea of trickery, it is likely enough that the idea of becoming a Catholic was already present to the scryer's mind and called up this picture before him. The celebrated Cagliostro, a Sicilian whose real name was Giuseppe Balsamo, among his other arts to excite curiosity and play upon the superstition of his contemporaries, had recourse to a species of crystal gazing. In the only authentic biography of this extraordinary impostor occurs the following passage which we give in Carlyle's version. Cagliostro brought a little boy into the lodge, son of a nobleman there. He placed him on his knees before a table, whereon stood a bottle of pure water, and behind this some lighted candles. He made an exorcism round the boy, put his hand on his head, and both in this attitude addressed their prayers to God for the happy accomplishment of the work. Having bid the child look into the bottle, directly the child cried that he saw a garden. Knowing hereby that heaven assisted him, Cagliostro took courage and bade the child ask of God the grace to see the angel Michael. At first the child said, I see something white, I know not what it is. Then he began jumping, stamping like a possessed creature, and cried, There now, I see a child like myself, that seems to have something angelical. All the assembly, and Cagliostro himself, remained speechless with emotion, the child being anew exercised with the hand of the venerable on his head, and the customary prayer addressed to heaven. He looked into the bottle, and said he saw his sister at that moment coming downstairs and embracing one of her brothers. That appeared impossible, the brother in question being then hundreds of miles off. However, Cagliostro felt not disconcerted, said they might send to the country house where the sister was, and see. Taken all in all, this experiment does not seem very satisfactory, but we have in it all the essential phases of crystal gazing. Excitement and expectation produce their usual effect upon an impressionable child, and suggestion did the rest the final vision may have been corroborated in some way or if not it would be explained so as to convince those present at the experiment that the child had really seen a representation of some actual happening during the terror among those upon whom fell the suspicions of the jacobins was general marlier he knew that a trial and quite probably a condemnation awaited him. A few days before the date fixed for his appearance before the judges, he met a colonel in the French army who had served in the American Revolutionary War and who was a firm believer in the truth of the visions seen in crystal balls. In the course of the conversation, this subject was alluded to, and the general immediately declared that he was eager to put the matter to the test and learn, if possible, what fate was in store for him. 
the colonel was at first very unwilling to undertake the experiment probably he thought that general marlier's doom was sealed and believing as he did in the revelations of the crystal he dreaded the results however the general insisted and the experiment took place as usual the medium was an innocent child in the crystal appeared a man wearing a private's uniform of the national guard struggling with one wearing a general's uniform the child was much excited and terrified by the sight exclaiming that the general's assailant had thrown him down and was beheading him that the vision portended the general's execution was clear enough but the peculiar dress of the executioner was a mystery to those present at the test for the official garb bore no resemblance whatever to a soldier's uniform the prediction was however fulfilled to the letter general marliere was tried found guilty and guillotined this in itself did not mean much in view of the innumerable executions in the time of the terror but on the day of this execution samson the official executioner desiring to gratify his personal vanity and to attract the gaze of the spectators dressed himself in the uniform of a national guardsman that this altogether unusual circumstance which could scarcely have been known to any of those who assisted at the crystal gazing should have been revealed in the crystal is certainly very mysterious if we had positive assurance that the events narrated happened exactly in the way they are said to have happened this would be one of the few instances in which the vision seen in the crystal reproduced something entirely unknown to the scryer many extraordinary visions are said to have been seen in crystal balls by a french scryer whose grandmother had clairvoyant powers and was sometimes consulted by napoleon i it is claimed that the grandson has enjoyed the patronage of many royal personages and had predicted in a more or less definite way the assassination of king humbert of italy and the attempted assassination of alfonso the eighth and of his young bride when they were returning to the palace after the conclusion of the marriage ceremony this french scryer has stated that he is powerfully affected when he is consulted by any one destined to die a violent death on such occasions he feels in his own organism a modified form of the particular kind of suffering they are fated to experience this exceptional sensitiveness to occult influences was also shown when the crystal gazer went to the bulak museum in cairo and gazed upon the rows of mummies exhibited there he immediately felt as intensely as though it were a personal experience the mingled sorrow and rage of the disembodied spirits at seeing their embalmed bodies exposed to the view of the idle crowd when they should have been permitted to rest in their tombs until the hour of the resurrection in england all those who attempted with a greater or less degree of success to reveal the hidden secrets of the future were expressly designated as rogues and vagabonds according to the terms of an act passed june twenty first eighteen twenty four such offenders on being duly convicted before the justice of the peace could be committed to the house of correction there to be kept at hard labor for any time not exceeding three calendar months 
this class of undesirable citizens comprised all using any subtle craft means or device by palmistry or otherwise for the deception of his majesty's subjects the himen or diviner of yucatan places great reliance upon his zestun or clear stone this may be a quartz crystal or else some other translucent stone but in order to serve for divining purposes it must be sanctified according to special rites gum copal being burned before it and certain magic formulas recited which have been transmitted from generation to generation in an archaic dialect when thus rendered fit for use the diviner claims to be able to see in the depths of the crystal the whereabouts of lost articles and also what absent persons are doing at the time he makes his observation not only this but the future is also laid bare before his eyes as these stones are supposed to possess such miraculous powers we need not be surprised that one of them should be found in almost every village in yucatan the apache medicine men are also fully persuaded that crystals possess the virtue of inducing visions and they have used them for the purpose of finding lost property to aid in the recovery of stolen ponies is one of the most important tasks of the apache medicine man and to this end his crystal offers great assistance captain john g burke relates that he made a great friend of a medicine man named naachi by giving him a large crystal of denticulated spar much superior to the crystal he had been in the habit of using for his visions that this was thoroughly satisfactory to the medicine man at least is shown by his statement to captain burke that by looking into his crystal he could see everything he wanted to see of the way this came about he did not attempt any explanation the magic power supposed to dwell within rock crystal has been recognized in a peculiar way by some natives of new south wales they have the barbarous custom of knocking out one or more of the front teeth of their boys at the obligatory initiation ceremonies and on one occasion dr howitt was entrusted with the care of a number of these teeth which are believed to preserve a certain undefined connection with the health and fortunes of their former possessors and on this account great fear was expressed lest the custodian should place the precious teeth in the same bag with some rock crystals for the natives thought that the magic power of these crystals would injuriously affect the teeth and threw them the boys from whose jaws they had been broken in a paper entitled the origin of jewelry read before the british association professor w ridgely says australians and tribes of new guinea use crystals for rain-making although they cannot bore them and this stone is a powerful amulet in uganda when fastened into leather sorcerers in africa carry a small bag of pebbles as an important part of their equipment so it was in greece the crystal was used to light the sacrificial fire and was so employed in the church down to the fifteenth century egyptians used it largely under the twelfth dynasty piercing it along its axis after rubbing off the pyramid points of the crystal sometimes leaving the natural six sides or else grinding it into a complete cylinder from this bead came the artificial cylindrical glass beads made later by the egyptians 
Professor Ridgely believes that the primary use of all these objects was because of their supposed magic powers. He holds the same view in regard to cylinders and rings, considering that the use of these as signets only became habitual at a later time, and he finds a proof of this theory in the fact that unengraved Babylonian cylinders and Mycenaean gems have been discovered. This is, of course, perfectly true, but does not in the least prove that such ornaments may not have been originally worn simply for purposes of adornment. Unquestionably, the custom of engraving them so as to render them signets must have arisen at a much later date. Flacourt stated that the natives of Madagascar used crystals to aid them in divining. These stones, which were said to have fallen from heaven, were attached to the corners of the boards whereon the sorcerers produced their geomantic figures. Here, however, the crystals were not directly used, but were only supposed to attract influences propitious to the diviner's efforts. In the notes to the 1888 edition of the Chinese Criminal Code, some curious details are given of a practice called Wang Quang Fu Chu, the magic of the round glittering. While this designation certainly seems to indicate the use of a polished sphere of some description, the details given refer to a different practice. We are told that when anything was stolen, appeal was sometimes made to a certain Sun Wan Sheng, who would then hang up a piece of white paper and utter a spell, while a boy gazed upon the paper until he saw the figure of the thief. This magician was punished for carrying on an unlawful practice. The Mexicans made images of their god, Tezcatlipoca, of obsidian, and the name of this divinity is interpreted as signifying shining mirror. This is supposed to refer to, or to have been expressed by, the brilliant effect of the polished surface of the obsidian. Mirrors of this material are said to have been used for divination in ancient Mexico and the neighboring countries. One of these Mexican mirrors seems to have been employed by Dr. D. in his experiments in crystal vision. A remarkable series of tests in the art of scrying, given in the presence of Lane, the great Arabic scholar and translator of the Arabian Nights, illustrates the fallibility of most of the evidence adduced in such matters, for at first Lane was strongly impressed by the exhibition. Although no crystal was used, the process of scrying was precisely the same as in crystal gazing, that is to say, the vision called for by the visitors was seen by the scryer on a polished surface. The master of ceremonies was an Arab magician, though of course he did not do the scrying himself, but employed a boy for this purpose, for it is generally thought that half-grown boys or girls are more receptive. Although Lane himself was perfectly familiar with Arabic, an interpreter was always present in the interest of the other Europeans who assisted at the experiments. After invoking many mysterious geniuses and burning incense and scraps of paper inscribed with magic formulas, the magician drew a magic square 
on a large sheet of paper and dropped a quantity of ink in the centre on this the boy was directed to fix his gaze and after he had shown that he was thoroughly under the magician's influence by describing the images suggested to him the visitors were permitted to ask him questions the answers were successful in most cases a single instance will suffice when the boy was asked to describe admiral nelson he replied i see a man clothed in a dark garb there was something strange about him he has but one arm then quickly correcting himself he added no i was mistaken he has one of those arms across the breast this correction impressed those present more than the first statement for it was well known that nelson usually had the empty sleeve of his coat pinned to his breast it also seemed as though there could be no collusion for both the magician and the boy were ignorant of everything english and evidently knew nothing of nelson unfortunately however for those who would fain believe that there was something supernatural in scrying it was later discovered that the interpreter was a renegade scotchman masquerading as an arab and there can be little doubt that he managed to suggest the boy's answer the fact that no satisfactory results were obtained when this interpreter was absent makes this explanation almost certainly the correct one End of chapter 6, part 3